Uh, we're going to talk today about holding fast to hope. The term hold fast is a nautical term, um, and it means to cling to. When, it, when a rope is taut on a ship, it's called, it's fast, and, and so sailors would sometimes tattoo the term, or the word hold fast on their knuckles so that in times of trial, they would be reminded to not let go of that rope that they were holding on to. And so this whole series is about holding on to certain things in the midst of the storm. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 27. Um, we, you, you probably remember uh, Paul is on a ship. He got outvoted last week on, on whether to sail or not. And so now they, they decided to sail and he's on his way to Rome. That's where they're trying to get to uh, to kind of finish up his trial. And so this week we're going to talk about holding fast to hope. Just go ahead and jot this down in case I forget to tell you. Um, but at the end of this sermon, if you, if you need some resources in regard to hope, you can go to our website, coe22.com slash hope. And you can find out how to, how to get a Stephen minister there. That's just basically a, a Christian friend that's been trained to walk with you through what you've been going through. There'll be a list of like Church of 1122 counselors. Also just a resource, uh, lots of resources there depending on what your situation is. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Acts 27, 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, oh, everything's going to be great, right? When the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and they sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called a nor'easter struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. <clears throat> so everything is going along smoothly, and then the storm hits. And when the storm hits, they're overwhelmed, and they don't know what to do. And so everybody's just running around doing something. When it says they secured the hull of the ship, that means that they would literally take ropes and wrap them around the hull of the ship because the storm was so bad that they thought the ship itself might just fall apart. And they start, they start throwing off the tackle, and they're bringing in the sails, and I'm sure some people are just running around doing something. What are you doing, dude? I don't even know what I'm doing, but i got to do something because I'm just overwhelmed with this storm, with this nor'easter. And when the storm hits you, there are times when you're just overwhelmed and you just don't know what to do. And so you start calling people and you send out prayer requests and you're looking for Bible verses and you're signing up for counseling and you're watching Oprah and Dr. Phil and you're doing whatever. You, you don't even know what you're doing. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start, but I know I'm overwhelmed and, and I don't even know what to do. And if you're a Christian, oh my goodness, then, then sometimes these well-meaning, idiotic Christians that we all have in our life, they come up. And they say the stupid stuff like, well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's BS, bull skibulon. That's what that is, okay? That is not in the Bible. It's in that made-up version of second opinions or third hesitations that we like to quote. But it's not in the actual word of God. Because that's not true. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle. Don't believe me? See Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. 
So today's message, if you came to get pumped up and cheery, you've come to the wrong church today. I'm sorry. So today's message is only for broken people. Those of us that have been broken, you're in the midst of the storm, or even for those of you that have a a gentle south wind on you now, it might be time for you to just get ready for those moments when the storms hit. Because if you've lived long enough, you know it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And, and, and we want to talk about how do you hold fast to hope when you feel like you're in a hopeless situation. Because the thing about hope is like you don't really think about it until it's too late. Nobody who's just living great today, right? Like you Seahawks fan, you, you're not thinking, man, I really need Jesus today. You're thinking, hey, all is well, isn't life good? And by the time you need it, oftentimes it's too late. And our tendency, when we get in some kind of storm of life, what we our first instinct is to figure out why. Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen? Because we think if I could know why this would happen, somehow everything would be okay. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. Sometimes the reasons you're in storms in your life, sometimes it's your fault. It's your fault. I know that stings a little, doesn't it? You can say ouch or amen, but it's true. Sometimes it's your fault. Nobody told you to go out with her again. Nobody made you drink it. Nobody made you take it. Nobody made you buy it. You just decided, hey, I'm going out in this direction. And so sometimes it, that's on you. Sometimes you find yourself in the storm, and it's not your fault. It's the dumb decision of somebody else, and you just happen to be a crew member in the ship. And the captain said, hey, we're, we're riding into the storm anyway. Like, it's not your fault that you got laid off, right? That, that, that the CEO just made some dumb decisions, and now here you are paying the price. That happens often. Sometimes, um, sometimes it's your fault, sometimes it's others, and sometimes this one's a hard one to take. Sometimes it's actually the pruning of God. Did you know that? That sometimes God is actually the initiator of your pain for your benefit and his glory. And every parent of a child that loves them enough to discipline them understands it from the parent side of the equation. Well, see, we're on the kid's side of the equation. There are times in my walk with Jesus that I've started to walk through the mud and I go, Father, I need your help. And he goes, okay, son, I got you. And he just dips me into it. Oh, okay, that's how it's going. Yeah. And on this side of it, you look back and say, thank you and praise you, Jesus, that you would love me enough to discipline me that way. But when you're in the middle of the storm, you just crying out, Lord, help. And then sometimes, sometimes it, you can't even assign fault. I know you lawyers are freaking out, but you can't. That we just live in a broken world, a chaotic world. And not only did Adam and Eve and the serpent get cursed, but we also lived in a cursed and chaotic world that one day will be made new. But until then, it's broken and it's chaotic and nor'easters just come out of nowhere. Here's the thing. Um, The what now is way more important than the why. The why you ended up in in the storm that you're in is, well, quite quite honestly, it's not relevant until you get out of it. And if it was your fault, you should probably learn from it and not go that direction again. But the why isn't going to help you as much. But the what now is the question that you've got to answer. And so, regardless of why, these men on this boat find themselves in the storm. Now, let me just tell you this. When you find yourself in the next storm that you're going through, I can promise you that if you're a Christian, it's not punitive. That God is not punishing you. He may be pruning you, maturing you to discipline, but he is not punishing you. And you know how I know this? Because Christ endured the full wrath of God on the cross. 
So in Romans 8, 1, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in a storm in your life, and even if it's your own fault, God is not punishing you there. Now, he might not rescue you from your own consequences, but he is not punishing you. Some of us think that God, that we serve kind of a frustrated God that's just tolerating us. That's not the God of the Bible. That God loves you, and he lavishes his love upon you. And he doesn't love some future version of you. He loves you now. He never looks at your life. He didn't look at your weekend and go, "Mm," and start second guessing the fact that he died on the cross for you. He knew the deal he was getting into when he adopted you into his family. And he's still okay with it. See, that's the God that we serve. And so, these men find themselves in an overwhelming situation. In verse 20. This is a very sad verse. It says... When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. That when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Now this isn't just because they like to sit out and look at the stars. These are pre-compass days, okay? So the way that they would find the direction that they're supposed to go is based on the sun and the stars. And they haven't seen the sun and the stars for many days. And so they don't even know what direction to turn. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like, I, can't, I don't even know what to do. I don't know which way to turn. And that's how they feel. And then, and then the, the, the storm just keeps pounding them, keep pounding them. No small tempest lay on us. And all... Hope of being saved was at last abandoned. I like how the Bible says it here. They didn't lose hope. That's kind of the, that's kind of the terminology we, we use, right? Don't lose hope as if they're your car keys. Anybody see my car keys? I put my hope somewhere, you know? I think sometimes my wife, she's gotten better at it now, but she used to walk in the house and just throw a car key somewhere, <laughs> search for them. My daughter does that with her little blankie. She just loses it daily. Right? Just whoop, throw it somewhere over there. So I know that we don't lose our hope like that. I know that, but, but here's what they do. They're going to abandon it. They didn't just misplace it. They, they say, look, based on our current circumstances and what the future looks like for us, we're going to leave hope aside because our circumstances are so bleak. Is that anybody in this room? Because I know based on the prayer cards because I read them every week, that it is. But there's some of you in this room, and you, you think you're in a hopeless marriage. I mean, you, you stood, you were so serious. You were standing in that altar, and you said, till death do us part, but you don't think you're going to make it. And you've tried to do your part. I mean, you went to counseling, and you read a book, and all of that. And I know there's some of you in this room, and you're thinking the Jamaica couple's trip is the last hurrah. If God doesn't turn something around, then I'm out. And it seems hopeless. And I know that there's some of you in here, and you feel like your financial situation is hopeless. I mean, you're just begging God. God, you've got to get a deal to come through, or something's got to turn around in my industry, because if something doesn't change, I'm going to lose my house. And I don't know what to do, or I already have. I'm bankrupt. I don't know what to do, God. And you feel hopeless. Or some of you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, and you've been praying for them and praying for them and praying for them year after year after year. And you fill out the prayer cards and you raise them in church and you did everything right. And they're just ruining their lives. And no matter how much you just try to 
tell them what to do. It just isn't working. Some of you have been trying to have a baby for year after year after year. And you've spent tons of money. And you've seen lots of doctors. And you're saying, come on, God. Oh, my only prayer is I just want to be a parent. I mean, how can like the worst people in the world be the most fertile people ever? And I'm like a good church going, want to just take my kid to the restored place over here, raise him up into church, just begins to feel hopeless. For some of you, your, your singleness has turned into loneliness. And you're just saying, God, I just, I just want to enjoy this life with somebody. The Bible says, he who finds what a, a wife finds what is good. I've been looking. Can't find one. I just, I just want to be have a companion. I'm sick of being alone, God. Or some of you get that call from the doctor this week or this month, and it wasn't good. There's some scary words, or it spread, or whatever it is, and you are just at this place, and you feel like all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I can tell you one of the most hopeless times of my life. And as I share it, I I want to be careful on a couple of things. One, let me just warn you against this. If you're walking through some pain, it does no one any good to compare your pain to somebody else. Okay? The, well, at least I'm not, that's kind of irrelevant. All right? Your pain is your pain. And if it's real to you, then it's real. And other people have their pain, and it's real to them. When I was 14 years old, I came home from school one day, and, and I kind of hesitate. I don't share this very often, um, just because, because you'll see that it's not super awesome news, but, but I just want to honor my mom and dad. I came home one day from school, and there's this note on my bed from my mom says, I love you, but I can't stay here anymore until you're broken. She left. Now, if you pull back the curtains a little bit now, as a grown man, I can see there's mistakes on both sides, and she probably had good reasons to do that, and, and my mom and dad love me very much, and I have a great relationship with them both right now, and, and, and it's all, you know, but when I was 14 years old, and I'm sitting there reading that thing, all hope was lost. I mean, when your parents won't cooperate, it just changes the world of a 14-year-old, and to make it worse, I got saved the summer before that. That summer at camp, was when I surrendered my life to Jesus. And every testimony they marched up on the stage was this. My life was a wreck, and then I met Jesus, and then cash and prizes. Well, I ain't getting any cash and prizes. It went the other way. It was like things were pretty good. I met Jesus, and now it's awful. It's awful. And I remember just, I mean, just weeping and feeling like, like all hope was lost. What am I going to do? How do I explain this to my... Younger brother, he's going to be home from school any minute. In Proverbs 13, 12, the Bible says this, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I don't know about you, I'd rather have a sick body than a sick heart. And you lose hope, and I'm telling you, it's a heart matter. It cuts you deep, deep, deep in here. And so this is the situation that these, these men find themselves in, that all hope of our being Save was at last abandoned. <clears throat> so what do you do when you find yourself in that situation, regardless of how you got there, whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault or the world or the devil or whatever? You find yourself in that situation. 
where it feels like your next step is to abandon all hope. Well, what Paul's going to do <clears throat> is Paul is essentially going to preach hope into these men on this ship. So if you look in verse 21, <clears throat> it says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Don't you love Paul? Come on, I love Paul. I'm from the kind of Paul school of counseling. I don't know if this is the best time to get up and tell, tell everybody, hey, I told you so, all right? The I told you so shirts are in. What size would you like? Because you're going to have to wear this around for a while. You understand? Men, you should listen to me. That's why I'm just going to warn you now. If you sign up for me to do your counseling and you sit in my office, I'm going to what's your problem? And they, you're going to tell me a problem. I go, I'm pretty sure I told you not to do that, all right? So but it doesn't really help a whole lot, but I, I can't wait to meet this guy. So he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss, verse 22. Now what he's going to say is, all right, so even though this is your fault, I got good news. That's not the end of the story. All right, I've got good news, and it's a word from God. <clears throat> and essentially what Paul is going to unpack from, him, from them now is God has spoken to me, and he's told us, He's promised us that as long as we stay on this ship, not one of us will lose our life. Verse 22, he says, yet now I urge you to take heart. Now, why would he start out with take heart? He's saying this, listen, men, take care of your heart. Why? Because Paul was a former Pharisee. That means Paul's memorized the entire Old Testament. That means Paul knows Proverbs 13, 12. Paul knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And he's like, listen, men, we don't, we don't have a ship problem. We got a heart problem. First and foremost, I know the circumstances look hopeless, but, but you better take heart. Take care of your heart. Because if we lose that, we lose everything. And so he says, take heart. And then he's going to paint a picture of the future for him. He says, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. To which if you're listening to this, you're like, Paul, on what authority is this coming from? I mean, really, is this just like a pep talk so we'll, so we'll feel good as we drown to our death? He's like, no, 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 I am here on a higher authority. Verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I worship. The next time you find yourself in a storm and you feel overwhelmed and you feel hopeless, or maybe that's you today, first and foremost, what Paul does and what he instructs us to do is that you have faith in God. You put your faith in God. You trust that God is in control. Now listen, because some of you be like, well, how do you do that? Listen, faith is not a feeling, right? Faith is not a feeling. Think about faith as trust. Where are you going to put your trust? Are you going to put your trust in your circumstances? Are you going to put it in you? Are you going to put it in the, the almighty God that is sovereign over even your circumstances? Now the amount of faith that you have is a gift from God. And you might say, but pastor, I just have that itty little tiny bit of faith. Well, guess what? You'd make a great disciple. You'd make a great disciple because Jesus said is that if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you know how big that is? It's just super teeny tiny. If you've just got itty bitty, like you can't even see it from here, faith, then you can move mountains. Because it's not the size of your faith that counts. It's the size of where you put your faith that counts. That your faith can't do anything, but faith in the almighty sovereign God can change everything. And so first and foremost, you've got to determine who your Lord is. Are your circumstances your Lord? Or is Jesus your Lord? Was he his Lord over your circumstances? 
And if you just have a tiny little bit of faith, it's a gift from God. And you take all your chips, sorry, Southern Baptist, and you push them all into the God pile and say, I'm all in on you. I'm all in. You stand up and you walk around the table and you say, I'm all in on whatever it is that you are calling me to, God. I'm going to trust you over my circumstances. And let me just tell you this. Can I tell you some good news? If you're just trying to muster up, sorry for the pun, if you're trying to muster up that amount of mountains of faith just to push into God, that the same God that spoke to Paul in this ship speaks to us today. The same God that empowered David to walk out and fight the giant, if you're a Christian, lives in you today. That the same Holy Spirit that fell down at Pentecost and changed the world forever lives in you today. That the same power of God that resurrected His Son, Jesus Christ, from the grave lives in you today. And so it's not about your faithfulness, it's about God's faithfulness. And so by choice, not feeling, that you take your faith and you push it over to God. That's the first thing that He does. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God whom I belong and whom I worship. And then he does the second thing, verse 24. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. This is what the angel's saying. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, there it is again. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. So the first thing that you do is you trust that God is in control even if your life looks out of control. And the second thing you do is you preach the word of God. You preach it to yourself first. But you lean into the word of God. When you find yourself in that hopeless situation, then you lean into God's word. Look at what Romans 15, 4 says. This is what the Bible says about itself. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is not just a history book. This is not just a Sunday school textbook. But God has given us his word to encourage us and to have hope. You know, when Jesus was in the, when Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the enemy, that three times the devil comes at Jesus with specific temptations. And all three times, Jesus answers the same way. He answers with this. It is written. And then he begins to quote the Bible. You see, when you find yourself in those hopeless situations, I hope and pray you've got some it is written in your life. That when your feelings are going all over the place, when your circumstances are just not the way you thought life was going to be, what you've got to do is you've got to have an anchor in your life, and the anchor can be the almighty word of God for your hope and for your encouragement. I want to share a couple of them with you that I go to. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, do not be anxious about anything. That's how it starts. So listen, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Any of you anxious about anything? Well, a little bit. All right, moms, every mom in here is like, well, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I need, you know, you, that, you're just anxious people. That's how you're wired. Thank goodness, that's why our kids get fed. All right, we need you to be a little... So how do you do that? If you're worried about something, you just don't do that. That's how Paul would say. Hey, you're anxious? Yeah, I am. Kind of worried. Yeah, okay, don't do that. How? It's like if you're afraid of heights, I just be like, don't be afraid. And you're like, okay. I can't just do that. Here's how. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
All right, so what? So pray about what? Everything. How? Supplication. That means you're just praying about something to God. With thanksgiving. And make your request known to God. We serve a good dad. He wants to give good gifts to his kids. So are you supposed to just ride around on the boat that's falling apart and be like, well, praise Jesus. I get just to die out here. No. No. But you lift it up to him and you pray like you mean it. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So how do you not be anxious about anything? In prayer and supplication, make your request known to God with thanksgiving. And then what happens? And the peace of God transcends understanding. Some of you have experienced this before, haven't you? If you're honest, you were in some kind of circumstance that was ridiculous, crazy. People coming up to you going, are you Okay. And you're like, I know, it's kind of crazy, but I'm kind of okay. Well, how does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. Well, what's happening is the truth of the word of God's happening. That the peace of God, not your peace, your peace is worthless. Your peace is, is, my peace is dependent on the weather. And on, my peace is dependent on what, you know, 20-year-olds from Georgia do on Saturdays, okay? That peace is shaky. But the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard what? It'll guard your heart. Why? Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. But trusting God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That might be one you want to memorize. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Or how about Romans chapter 8? Because I don't know about you, but when I get into, or there have been times in my life when things are not going my way and, and, and I'm really struggling that I would begin to go down this road. Well, God, if you'd really love me, wouldn't you give me what I wanted? Now, as a dad, I know that's ridiculous. That no good parent gives their kid what they want all the time. And many people say, well, if God's love and he, and he loves me, then why would he let me go through this? Well, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, when we took the helm of the ship and we, when we drove it right into the worst storm, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us that I don't have to look at my circumstances to understand if God loves me or not because I can look to the cross of Jesus Christ and once and for all, it is finished. God demonstrated his love for you in that. That no matter your circumstances, no matter your situation, that he demonstrated his love for you that while you're still a sinner, he died for you. Now listen, God has given us this miracle, this miracle in the 21st century called BibleGateway.com. Bible, you should write this down, BibleGateway.com. You go online, BibleGateway.com, and there's a search bar, and you put in the word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, every Bible verse that has that word in it will show up. And if you just put in hope, and guess what? All these hope verses pop up. Or you might put in, do you see what the first thing the angel said to, to Paul is? Do not be afraid. In the King James Version, 365 times we are commanded by God in the scriptures to not be afraid, to fear not, to take courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the opposite of faith is not doubt. You got a lot of doubts in your life? You make a great disciple. The opposite of faith is fear. Because when you trust that God is in control, you might not be able to figure it out, but you don't have to be afraid because he's in control. And when I grew up as a little kid, my brother and I would go fishing with my daddy. We'd get in our 72, 73 Chevrolet, and 
with a little John boat that my dad and some other guys built, and we would go to the little PD River, and I'd sit in the front seat, and Russ would sit on a cooler in the middle, and then my daddy would sit in the back. And on our way fishing, you know what I worried about? Nothing. You know why? Because my dad was with me. I didn't worry about if we had a license or not, or did we have the right bait, or did we know where we were going? Why? Just because I had faith that he could handle it. So I wasn't afraid. Did I have doubts? I had all kind of doubts. Are we going to catch stuff? I don't know. Was I afraid? Absolutely not. And so the Bible says, do not be afraid. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let me tell you, what you need is you need some it is written to lean on. You need some it is written so that you can claim with your mouth the truth of the word of God. And over time, hopefully, your feelings will catch up and get in line with what's true. So when I was 14 years old, sitting on that bed, looking at that note from my mom, just my world came crashing down. I looked up on my shelf, and one of the camp counselors from the camp that I'd just become a Christian at, she gave me a Bible. And the reason she gave it to me is because the only thing I had was the King James Version, and it had a zipper cover, and the zipper got stuck, you know, like in 78 or something. I couldn't get it open, and I also couldn't understand it. I didn't know the thee before thine except after thou. You know, I didn't, what are you talking about? Beseech ye, therefore, brethren, and suffer not the little children. I was like, who's beating up the kids? I didn't know what that meant. So she gave me a Bible that I could read, and it made sense. And I'm going to tell you, when I got home after being saved, I was on fire for Jesus. I probably read that thing three days in a row. And then it had been sitting on the shelf for a couple months now, and I didn't know what else to do. And I looked over and saw it, and just went and grabbed it and opened it up. She put a bookmark in there. And it was some kind of ridiculous bookmark, like the bread of life never grows stale or something real cheesy Christian like that. So I threw that crap away. You know what she had marked? She had Jeremiah 29, 11 marked. I opened it up. It was highlighted, underlined. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you hope, not to harm you. And I said, I looked up at heaven. Okay, Lord. You get one shot. You get one shot. You ever let me down. If this is not true for my life, then I'm out. And he's been nothing but faithful. So when you go through some kind of storm, when you get to the place where you feel hopeless, you better have some it is written in your life. You better, you better have the word of God saturating your circumstances so that you can see through the clutter of this world and you can see as God sees. He goes on, verse 27. It says, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. By the way, this was supposed to be a 42-mile boat ride. At this point, they are 500 miles off course. About midnight, the darkest part of the night, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. And so they took a sounding, and they found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. You see what's happening here? You see, it happened 2,000 years ago and it happened this weekend. That uh, when you run into the storm, 
The first thing, you better trust God that he's in control. Even if your life looks out of control, you better lean into God's word. And the third thing that you better do is there better be some patient obedience. You better patiently obey because I don't know if you figured out this or not, but God's timing is not necessarily our timing. And he's never late, but he ain't often early, is he? You ever be praying, God, I need a breakthrough. But bam, look at there. Thank you, God. No. He's just on his own timing. Why? I don't know. You could take it up with him yourself one day. Maybe because he's God and he knows what he's doing. But so many times what happens, especially here, all right, you come to the service, you feel hopeless, you've raised your hand, you trust Jesus, you sing the songs, you close your eyes. At the end of the service, you come down to the altar You say, Lord, I'm going to take all this stuff that I've been worried about, that I've been anxious about. I've memorized the verse. I'm bringing it to you. You lay it down on the altar. God, I'm trusting you with it all. Later on the week, you'll be like, you know what? It is Tuesday and nothing's happened yet. How about I pick that back up and we just take that thing back and carry that load again? You better patiently obey. God's timing's not our timing. It'll never be late. You know... Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because his answer could be the thing that drives a wedge between us and him. Do you know that? You know how easy it is as a child of God to get confused, to confuse the blessings of God with God himself? And maybe if he gave us everything we asked for, we wouldn't even want him anymore. We just want his stuff. You know how I know this? Because I have little kids. I've been gone for a couple weeks and I come home and you know what? The second question is, they're like, Dad, you're home. What'd you bring us? Nothing. I'd got him something, but I didn't give it to him at first. You know why? Because I felt used. You ain't going to use me. Charge you rent. Get out of here. Uh-uh. Why? Because I don't want them for my little cheap army men or whatever else I get them. I want them to just love me as their dad. And God is the same way. And so, you know what these men do? These sailors go, okay, listen, we gave you 14 days on this trust God thing, but it ain't working out. So we're going to take matters into our own hands. Ha. Who got them in trouble? They did. You think they can get themselves out of trouble? Absolutely not. And again, it happened 2,000 years ago. It happened this weekend. There's so many times when you say you trust God, you pray about it. I'm giving it all to you, Lord, for a minute, and then I'll take it right back if it's not on your timing. Be patient. And listen, this is going to sting a little too, especially in our culture, that your obedience to God is more important than the outcome. Your obedience to God is more important than the outcome. The business may fail. The investment may go under. The relationship may end. But your obedience to God, in fact, what else can we bring him? You want to worship God? Be obedient to him. Instead of just trying to use him to get what you want. And so, Paul says, hey, listen, these guys are about to get outside of the the promise of God. And if they hop off the boat, we're all in trouble. And so here's what happens, verse 32. It says, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Verse 33, and as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Let me just admit to you. You might come and pray and trust God and get a Bible verse and do the whole thing. It doesn't mean immediately it gets better. And I bet I've said this a hundred times here, but we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow him because he's better than life. And even if the circumstances never change and you get Jesus, he's more than enough. He's more than enough. 
I talked with a wife this morning after the 9 o'clock service, and she, her, she lost her husband this week. And she said, but I think through what I see as a tragedy, there are doctors and nurses and their very own children that are going to begin to attend church because of what this faithful man of God was proclaiming till his dying day. And then she says, and isn't that worth it? Does it hurt now? Oh, man, I can't imagine the pain she's going through. But is it worth it? In 100 years, absolutely yes and amen. And so, it doesn't always get better immediately. Verse 34, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I think I'd be okay on that one. Verse 35. <laughs> and when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. When you find yourself in that place of hopelessness, you know what Paul did? So Paul trusted God. Paul preached the word to others and to himself. But one of the biggest things Paul did is Paul was grateful for what he did have instead of focusing on what he didn't. And then look at the result. I mean, look at the result. So Paul, imagine being on the boat with him. And Paul's going, God, thank you so much that we have bread to eat. And people look at him like, this man must be crazy. No, he just, he, just lives, he just lives differently. The things that are important to him are different than the things of this world. In verse 36, and then they were, they were all encouraged and they ate some food for themselves. Have you ever been around somebody and, the, and, and, and it looks like the circumstances of their life is just, it's just ridiculous? And you begin to look at them and say, I don't know how I would handle it if I were in your case. And yet somehow they have, they've learned the secret of being content in every situation. I mean, it's amazing. See, as a pastor of this church, um, I've been in the hospital rooms. And I've been at the graveside. And I've been there where people are signing papers that change the, their financial future forever. And I've been there when they're going through that. And when you look deep in their soul and you go, how you doing? They go, you know, it's going to be okay. I mean, it's not okay right now, but it's going to be okay. Because I know, I know that my God is bigger than whatever this trial that I'm going through is. I know that he was not surprised by this thing that I'm going through. And then people around, those people begin to, begin to um, kind of catch the attitude of that person. You know your attitude's contagious. And so Paul, with a grateful heart, even in the midst of the storms, thanks God for what he has. And then, then they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. So how do you hold on to hope? And listen, I don't want you to think through these like steps, okay? There are no steps to anything, all right? There's just life. It's more like a recipe. All of these things just kind of need to be in there. How do you hold on to hope when you find yourself in that hopeless situation? If you have faith in God, remember faith is not a feeling. That you choose to put your trust in God, even if you don't feel like it. That you preach God's word to yourself. You need some it is written in your life. That you, you've, you've got to be patiently obedient. God's timing is not our timing. And then you try to get your eyes focused on being grateful for what God has given you instead of staying focused on the problems that you're in. And ultimately, fundamentally, you just hold fast to Jesus. Here's the point. That when your situation seems hopeless, you hold on to Jesus. He's the only legitimate source of hope. And I know that because of the cross. 
That hope is not a situation. That hope is not a feeling. That hope is not a circumstance. The only legitimate source of hope is Jesus. And he's never changing. And your circumstances are ever changing. And the only unchanging thing in an ever changing world is Christ crucified and resurrected. And now, I, I don't want this just to be like a theology lesson here on why bad things happen. But I want to just press into you and your lives. And I'm going to ask you to do something brave and bold. Um, I'm going to ask you, if you feel hopeless in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I know that you're thinking, oh no, I picked the wrong Sunday to come to church, right? I got all dressed up, came here looking good, smiling, pretending like everything's fine. How you doing? Oh, I'm just blessed. <laughs> but there's some of you here and you're, you feel like your marriage is hopeless. I mean, you really do. She cheated or he cheated and you think, I can't, this is just hopeless. Or you're just over it. You don't even want to do the work it'll take to fulfill your covenant. And that's some of you in this room. There's some of you here and your finances are hopeless. I don't mean you're just not able to do the vacations you used to do. I mean that you're trying to figure out how to, how to just buy food for your family. Some of you have been hunting for a job for months. And you're hopeless and you're, and, and you're angry. You're like, how can my slacker, good-for-nothing brother-in-law get a promotion? And I can't even just get a job, a call back. And some of you have been trying to have children for a long time. And you're at the point of hopelessness. And you're just begging God, begging God. Come on, God, please. And some of you got a call this week from the doctor and it spread. Or scary words. Or the diagnosis was not which you ever thought you'd have to deal with. And their prognosis isn't awesome. Some of you are addicted. And you've been going to meetings after meetings after meetings. And, and sure, they're helpful, but your story isn't turning out like everybody else's story. And somebody told you that if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't even want to do this stuff anymore. And that makes it worse because you're like, I think I love Jesus and I still am addicted. I'm just consumed by this. And so you're at the point of just giving up some of you are just lonely. I mean, you're in a room with a couple thousand people, and yet you feel like you're all alone. There's some of you in the room, and this is sometimes the worst of all. You're just depressed. You can't figure it out. And all your circumstances around you are awesome. And they're not helping you. And your friends are saying to you, how could you be depressed? I mean, if I had your life, I'd be awesome. And look, and you, I don't understand. And it somehow compounds it and makes it worse. There's some of you in this room, and I know because of your prayer cards, because I've been walking with you, there's some of you. You've gotten to the place where you think the best option is to take your life. You've considered suicide. Look, I don't even know how to preach this except to say don't. Just don't give up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up on a God who would never give up on you. If you look around this place, we'll love you. We'll walk with you if you'd let us. Now, those are just some of the circumstances. I don't know your exact circumstances, but some of you walked in here today, and you're about a step away from abandoning hope. If that's you, and if you'd be honest enough, 
want you to stand up where you are. I want to tell you that the fake you is doing just fine. Okay? The fake you is doing just fine. And there's, there's a level that you'll never get, get with with the Lord it, it, as long as you fake it. The Word of God would say to you, do not be afraid. And I know you look around at your circumstances and you say, well, how the heck do I do that? Because I'm terrified. I'm terrified. Because you're going to put your faith not in your circumstances, but you're going to put your faith in Jesus, the one who never, ever, ever changes. And let me tell you, church, listen, for every one of you standing, there's three more sitting around you and they're afraid to get up because they're afraid of what people around them think. I'm going to ask you, if you're in that hopeless situation, stand up, okay? That God is not in love with some future version of you. He loves you right now and He demonstrated it on the cross. And this isn't based on your faith, but it's based on His faithfulness. That He loves you, that He has a purpose, that He has a plan for you. And yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Because His rod and His staff, they comfort you. Why? Because He is with you. Can I, I just want to read some verses that the Apostle Paul wrote. The guy that was in the midst of this storm, he wrote these words in Romans chapter 8. Please hear this. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also give to Him graciously all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you realize, those of you standing, everybody here, but particularly those of you standing right now, the Son of God is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you. And it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he answers the question with a resounding, No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those of you standing up, don't give up hope because hope is not a feeling and hope is not a situation. Hope is not a circumstance. The only legitimate source of hope is Jesus. And hold fast to Jesus because I promise this, He is holding on to you. That nothing could pluck you from the hand of an almighty God. And if you'll look around, you are a part of this family. And I can't promise you that we'll make your circumstances better. But what I can promise you is you won't have to walk it alone. Because we'll walk with each one of you. Anybody that will let us. And we'll pray for healing and beg God to move. And let me assure you of this. God is in the miracle business. He's really, really good at it. And before Jesus went into full-time public ministry, you know what he did? He was a carpenter. And so Jesus has been really good at rebuilding things for his entire existence. If you'll let him, if you'll let him, then he'll show himself to you so that you can know that he's more than enough. Now those of you sitting around, these people that were brave enough to stand up, could you just reach out and grab a hand? Or maybe put your hand on their shoulder. And can we just lift these folks up in prayer?
Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. God, I thank you so much that this is the kind of church where it's okay to not be okay. Lord, I thank you for the boldness, the faith, the audacity for these men and women and students to stand up amongst their friends and family and say, I need help, Jesus. I need help, God. I pray for help. God, I pray for all of those that are weary and heavy laden. God, that they would come to you and that you and you alone would give them rest for their souls. God, I thank you that the same God that saved Paul in this shipwreck, God, that you're the same today as you were then. God, I pray for salvation in this place. God, I pray for healing in this place. God, I pray for marriages to be to be healed in this place. God, I pray for prodigal sons and daughters to come home. God, I pray for finances to be turned around, to be God-glorifying. God, I pray for sicknesses to be healed. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. We pray it in Jesus' name. God, we know that you're a good dad that likes to give good gifts to your kids. But God, the ultimate gift is just knowing you. So God, I pray that in the midst of all of these circumstances, God, you would bless us or break us, whatever it takes to draw us unto you because you are more than enough. God, I pray that this would be the kind of church that walks honestly and humbly as a family seeking to honor you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would everybody please stand? <clears throat> so I know that there were some of you who were sitting that you, based on your circumstances, probably needed to stand too. And one of the things that we do here at the Church of 1122, there's just something special about coming to the altar. And just kneeling down and praying. And here's the thing this morning. I just don't want you to come alone. Even if you came to church alone, okay? And maybe that's the thing that you're dealing with is that you feel alone. You don't have people to go to church to, whatever. Just grab the person next to you and say, I need you to come pray for me. I know it'll freak them out, but it's 1122. It's just kind of how it's fine, all right? I want you to just come and lay your cares upon him because he cares for you. I want you to respond.